Well, today is the second week that we will be looking at uh, some concepts about stewardship. And um, I forget now who it was that made the comment uh, during the week this past week that said, I think you made a mistake Sunday when you said that in the next two Sundays we were going to be looking at stewardship. So that might keep some people away. And I said, well, at least I want to be honest about it and let them know what we're going to be talking about because it's so important. And then that reminds me of a story from the past about uh, three tightwads who were going to visit the church for the first time. And being notorious tightwads, they didn't want to give anything, so they decided they would get there after everything else except for the sermon. And uh, at the end of the sermon, they thought they'd sing a hymn and go. But lo and behold, to their dismay, they discovered that uh, this church took up the offering after the sermon. And so after the sermon that day, when they began to take up the offering, they wondered what they would do. And finally, one of the three fainted, and the other two carried him out. And that's how they got out of having to give anything. Well, I think if the truth were known, that's the way that a lot of people think about it. It's kind of like going for your dental exam or having to go back and get a booster shot or whatever at your doctor. Sometimes, you know, stewardship is something you really don't want to think about, you don't want to talk about, you kind of grit your teeth about it. Uh, we just like to avoid it. Uh, we, we'd like to avoid it. And I, I think there's a terrible concept about the fact that we shouldn't talk about money in the church because Jesus talks so much about money, and money's an p- important part of our life. Somebody says we spend most of our life trying to make money and the rest of our life spending it. And so I find that it's not any surprise at all that the Bible has so much to say to us about money, about how to make it, how to invest it, how to spend it, and how to give it. In fact, over half of the parables that Jesus taught are about money or possessions. You see, there are 40 verses in the Bible on baptism. 275 on prayer, 350 verses that speak about faith, 650 verses on love, 2,350 verses, though, about money and material possessions. Now, why is that so? I think for two reasons. Number one, it's important that God teaches us about money and money management. And I think the second reason is, is because we need it. Obviously, we don't do a very good job. I don't care how strong or how big a church you can find anywhere across this nation. Probably most demographic studies of it would show that it's somewhere between 30 to 50% of the people in any given church do not give and support the life of the church. Just think about the potential that church has that's lost. Think about our potential as that's lost. But we find in both the Old and New Testaments that God's teachings are very clear to us about how money and possessions can be used to glorify Him and to further the kingdom of God. Or money not handled well can destroy our life, our joy, and our hope. Uh, Last week, last Sunday was Stewardship Commitment Sunday with our theme being uh, living faithfully, giving generously. Our budget, our financial plan of ministry going forward for the year 2015 next year is $1.625 million. It's the same that we had for this year. And we're not meeting this budget. We're uh, a little less than three weeks behind. We had a great offering last Sunday. Uh, and so we're not meeting that. But the stewardship committee felt like we couldn't go backwards. We need to be challenged in this because there are ministries that we need to be about. And the challenge for us as we deal with this concept of stewardship is, uh, is to be faithful stewards and to be generous and to create that spirit and culture of generosity in our church. Uh, and that's a great challenge, not for us only, but I think for every church because of some of the, some of the standing 
objections about talking about money in the life of the church. There basically are three. Number one is somebody will always say, well, all the church wants is my money. That is absolutely not true. Not unless you have been somewhere in a church where probably 50 out of 52 weeks the pastor preached about money and tithing and giving. We don't do that, but we do weave the stewardship concept and the need for giving into most everything that we do because it's a part of our life as a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what I really think about whenever I hear anybody say, well, all the church wants is my money? That attitude doesn't permeate our culture and our society. People spend money gladly at any place they want to, willingly, with all kinds of places. You know, the grocery store, Walmart, Target, buying cars, the dry cleaners. You know, you pay your electric bill, your cell phone. That's a necessity now, isn't it? You know, you got to pay doctors. You got to pay your mortgage on your house, all of that. You see, money is spent freely everywhere. When you, write, when you go to see the doctor, you say, I hate to go see the doctor because all I know is he, all he wants is my money. He doesn't care about seeing me. Is that your attitude when you go to see your doctor? I doubt it. When you go make a trip into Walmart and the greeter greets you very nicely, do you say, don't be so nice to me. I know all you want is my money. That's not the attitude you have about that. You go in there gladly to spend your money. I want you to think about this. In America, people give, this is total for churches, about 50 billion dollars a year to the various churches. Now that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But then think about this. Americans also spend at the same time $58 billion on buying soft drinks. $50 billion to the church, but $58 billion spent on soft drinks alone. And the average adult gives about $300 to his or her church. USA Today reported uh, not too long ago that money is the number one stress factor for American adults, and yet with the Christmas season coming up, we're projected to spend $465 billion. We spend a lot of money, and I don't think you complain about the fact that where you spend it is because all they want is your money. We spend $604 billion every year going out to eat. How many of you just think, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you went out to eat this Friday or Saturday this weekend? You know, those are the three most romantic words I've spoken on most weekends. Let's eat out. I'm guilty. I'm, I'm part of this group. We spend $48.35 billion on pet, on the pet industry. We got two dogs. I spoil them. I'll just be honest about that. I buy treats for them. But everything we spend, take them to the vet, buying them treats, buying them food, all that kind of stuff, we spend $48.3 billion on them. We spend $20.2 billion on video and computer games. We spend $18 billion on home entertainment products like DVDs, Blu-ray discs, movie downloads, whatever. We spend $10.5 billion on self-help products and services. And that's a variety of things that we could spend. We spend $5.9 billion on weight loss products. And we spend 13, $315 million on stress management programs, mostly because we've overspent. We love to spend money. So I don't want to hear all the church wants is my money. It's like Paul wrote and said, I don't want what's yours, I want you. That's what God says. I want you. 
Because he knows if he has us, then we're going to be good stewards if you totally commit to him and allow him to be Lord of your life. Well, the second objection we always hear is, well, I don't want to sign a stewardship card. It's too binding. I don't care whatever else it is you've done in life. If it involves transactions of some sort, you've signed it. Your marriage license, you sign that. You never have had a bride and groom when they get to this point after the ceremony to say, you know what, I don't think I want to sign that. You sign it because you're making a commitment, making it legal. You buy a house. You tell the mortgage company, well, I don't want to sign that. That's kind of binding. You know what they're going to tell you? Get lost. Good luck. Hope you got cash to pay for a house. You buy a car, what do you do? You sign an agreement wherever you finance it, unless you pay cash and you still got to sign something anywhere that you bought the thing. So we do all kinds of things that we, that we make binding commitments to, but somehow when it comes to making a commitment to be a steward, we don't want to do that. Why is it that we ask you to turn in a commitment card with an amount on it that you will give? Because you're more likely to follow through. Why does the bank make you sign the note papers? It's because they know if you're going to be committed and they got your John Hancock's on that, on that piece of paper, that document, you're committed to it. And so we ask you to do that. Uh, last Sunday morning, we pledged about 68% of our 2015 budget. By the end of this week, at Friday afternoon, uh, we had 193 stewardship card commitment cards turned in, which represents 327 members of the life of this church, and we pledged now 70% of our budget for 2015. I want to ask you, if you have not made a commitment and not turned in your stewardship card, to please do so. I will also let you know that we will be reminding you again about that. But it will be in a kind and gentle way as we do with everything. It won't be like this story I heard about. pastor had a, a layman in the church who wanted to, to visit. And he knew that guy was like a bull in a china shop. And he said, no, 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 I don't want you to go visit people. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, sit down over here and here's a list of people who haven't made a stewardship commitment this year and haven't given anything. I just want you to write them a letter. About two weeks later, they got a letter from one of those people, one of the members of the church. It had a check for $1,000 in it and a note attached that says, to whomever it might concern, I received your letter and I want to remind you that there is only one T in dirty and no C in skunk. We talked last month in stewardship committee about, um, you know, what, what do we want to do to follow up on this and, and promote stewardship? I said, well, you ought to show the last session of Dave Ramsey's financial piece. Because I'll tell you what Dave Ramsey says. Anybody, anybody in here been through financial peace? Some of you have. Some people have been through that and benefited from it. You remember what he says in the last session? He said, if you don't give, you are green pond scum. That's what he says. I didn't say that. You're green pond scum, pond scum, you know. Then there's the third objection. You know, what I do with my money is my business, and the church shouldn't be telling me how to spend it or how much to give. You know what? If a church did not do that, if a pastor did not preach that, he would be unfaithful to the Word of God. Because the Bible is what tells us how to make a living, how to invest it, how to give it, and how to much. You see, that's why God gives us the tithe. He doesn't give us a figure, an amount that we should give by figure, because everybody has different levels of income. But he does put us on the same playing field, the level field, by saying we should give that 10%. 
And I think generosity begins after we have the, the tithe down in our life. And we'll talk more about that next week. So I'm giving you another heads up and another warning. But I think if you really want to grow as a steward and really want to grow as a disciple of Christ, and you want to see this church grow for the glory of God, then you ought to be interested and concerned in what the Bible has to say about being a good steward. You see, the real issue of stewardship uh, is not just about money and giving money, but it's about a way of life. we got a quick video about that, stewardship plain and simple. Stewardship. It's kind of a churchy word, but what does it mean? This is stewardship plain and simple. Meet John. He loves to play golf, eat Italian, and go to the movies. He has a house, a car, and a job that pays the bills. In his free time, he catches up on the latest game, and he plays his guitar. So here's where stewardship comes in. Everything John has, from his TV to his car to even his ability to play guitar. Well, none of it actually belongs to him. Are you ready for this? From the little things all the way to the big stuff, like his house, it all belongs to God. You're a steward of everything God gave you. It's a privilege, and he expects you to be responsible, not just with your finances, but your time, talents, and toys. So what does it mean to be responsible? Well, like hosting a Bible study at your house, or using your free time to visit someone in the hospital, or how about giving money to an out-of-work friend? It's all stewardship. So when it's time to give back, say the plate gets passed, or the children's minister asks you to serve in the toddler's room again, think to yourself this one simple question. Does what I have belong to me or God? Good quick video, stewardship, plain and simple. Stewardship encompasses everything about our life. But we're particularly thinking now about the challenge to live faithfully and to give generously for our 2015 budget. How can, how can we have the courage and the confidence to give the way that we know that the Bible tells us to give? Giving the 10% as the, as the tithe. And then give him beyond that. Well, I think there's one great verse of Scripture that I'll share with you today, Luke 6, 38. And I think we find here the confidence to be able uh, to live faithfully and give generously. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus simply says, Give, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now let's break that down and see what Jesus is saying to us about how we can have confidence in living faithfully, giving generously. We can have confidence in doing that because, number one, our confidence is based upon the promise of Jesus. See, that's the essence of Luke 6, 38. And we have to understand the concept in which Jesus taught this. It happened every day. It still happens today in a lot of the Mid-Eastern and Third World countries, uh, that they're marketplaces. And people go and they buy uh, what they need, their staples for life. And it's a, it's a bargaining process that they go through. 
And every day they would see farmers come and bring their grain, whatever it was, wheat, corn, or barley. And then the buyer would decide what he or she wanted to buy. And then the haggling over the price would, be, would begin. And when they finally settled on a price, then the buyer would produce a container, usually a pot or a basket or something like that. And the seller would find a scoop to fill the container. And this is where we understand what Jesus is talking about would come in. There are basically four stages of measuring the grain for a customer. First of all, the seller would fill that container to the top. The seller would fill the container to the top. Second, he would press the grain down, and then he would fill some more. Thirdly, he would shake the container so that the grain would settle, and then he would put some more in. And then fourth, he would fill the container until it would overflow. And then the seller would catch what the overflow was and put it in the pocket of his robe so that he would go home with some grain so his family could eat. But the buyer would leave with a basket or pot full, pressed down, shaken together is what Jesus talked about. And Jesus was describing a situation that happened every day. And they could identify with what he was saying when he spoke these words. And it goes simply like this. It says, when you give, God gives back to you. And God uses the same measure that you use. Now, if you're generous, God's going to be generous to bless you. If you're stingy, you can expect not to get very much back. That's the promise that's affirmed in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. Remember this, whosoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And then verse 11 goes on to say, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. That's what we want to strive to be is generous. On every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now I want you to notice the, the word all that's used four times in verse 8. Paul talks about all grace. That's the source. That's the source of our blessings and, and everything we have. From God. Then he talks about all things. That's the extent of, of our supply that comes from God. All things. All times. That's the duration. All times God will bless us. And then all that you need. See, that's the result. And that's the promise that God gives to us that gives us confidence to give. See, he will supply what we need. We think, if I give this away, I'm going to go without. God says, you give it to me, I'll make sure you have. That's his promise. That's where our confidence begins. Secondly, we can have confidence because this promise is based on the character of God. See, everything that Jesus teaches us rests upon the character of God. When Jesus says, it will be given to you, that promise is based on the truth of who God is and who is God. But besides being the Creator, our Father, the Giver of salvation through Jesus Christ, the One who answers our prayers, all the names that you have for Him, you think about His nature. God is generous, God is loving, and God loves to give good gifts to His children. Kind of like being a grandfather. And it's His nature to give. And He will always give more to us 
than we can give to him. It seems like it's come on us very quickly, but in a couple of weeks we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving. And as we prepare for that, as you prepare for that, I'm going to challenge you to read and meditate upon Psalm 103. In the King James Version, the first several verses say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. You can really read it after you eat Thanksgiving dinner and say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Now he says, Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Now just in case you've forgotten some of the benefits and the blessings that God gives to you, uh, we find several of those listed here in this psalm. David goes on to say, He forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with love and compassion. And He satisfies your desires with good things. So, we, 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 we are all blessed by God. We have all been blessed by God. And we continue to be blessed by God. And if you doubt anything about the goodness of God and His generosity, then listen to this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, God gave the most. God gave the best. God gave what was the most costly to give. He gave His Son. He gave His Son to sacrifice His life for our sins. That ought to give some indication about the depth of God's love for us and how He will meet our needs if we give to Him. So you can't outgive God. And God, God invites you, and sometimes in this Word challenges you, to trust His Word. And put his faithfulness and his love to the test. So we're not to test God. What the Bible teaches us. Until God says put me to the test. And he does about the tithe. And we'll talk about that next week. And then thirdly we can give with confidence. Because the goodness of God is the truth behind this promise. See this is how the goodness of God is connected to our giving. See generous givers are not necessarily uh, the, the most wealthy people. In fact, most of the time that's contrary to that. But the most generous givers are those who have a large view of God. See, generosity doesn't have anything to do with how much money you have. It has everything to do with your view about God. And if your God is big, you'll be generous. If your God is small, you'll be stingy. And if you struggle in your giving, it might be because your God is too small. But the bigger your God, the easier it is for you to give to Him. Then secondly, when we give generously, we do so because we truly believe that God will bless us generously. Give and it will be given to you. doesn't say might be given or may be given or could be given but will be given. And the difference comes in how we prioritize our life in the area of stewardship and put the kingdom of God first. We've got another short video that hopefully illustrates to us a generous giving and the blessings that come from it. 
I've got two people here. Each one of them is represented by a glass of Skittles. Skittles one and Skittles two. This morning, God has presented to us that two different people, the way we live today. The first guy lives trying to just take care of himself, and you realize the needs are great, so he gives some of his Skittles to his mortgage payment. And he gives some of his Skittles to his car payment. And if he has kids, more cars. Then he has kids that will one day go to college, and he has to give more money for college, and it's college, so it's, and it's college, so it's more Skittles trying to take care of himself. One of, they, one of those kids decide they want to get married and it's their daughter. I know what he feels like. And that's the whole thing. And then he looks down and he says, well, I don't have any leftover to give to God. But God says there's this other guy. His Skittles, the first thing he does with them He hears the truth. He's connected to what Christ has done in him, and he takes his Skittles, and he gives them to God. His storehouse, to those in need, the tithe. He gives them to them. And then he sees the need, and he gives somebody else. Then he realizes he has a mortgage payment. He has realized he has cars to pay for. He realizes that he has college to pay for. He realizes that he has a wedding to pay for. But then he realizes his is empty. He's not sure what to do, and he knows he's obeyed God, and then he looks to God. And God begins to pour out his storehouse upon him. And God says, it's okay, I got room enough for you. Listen, my friend, his bucket is never empty. It's never empty. And my friend, I want you to understand the issue of the hour is, Which guy will we be? What will you do with your Skittles? Because the truth is, God overwhelmingly, God overwhelmingly, and the truth of his word has said, out of the overflow, that love will pour out of you, and you will be generous. Hmm. Good illustration, I thought. Well, let me also say to you this way. How does God reward us for being generous? Well, sometimes it's by money. But oftentimes it's in other ways. Sometimes it's an answered prayer. Maybe it's just simply the deep inner joy that you have for being faithful. It might be with an opportunity to give even more. It might be a new revelation of the power of God at work in your life. It might be an amazing miracle. Or it might be the peace that simply passes all understanding. Or it simply might be the blessing of knowing that you have been obedient and faithful to what God has called you to be as a steward. But God will bless you if you give. Now, I want to close today by giving you an investment tip, okay? And it's an insider tip because I got the Holy Spirit in me, okay? Here's the best investment that you can make, and that is to give to God. Uh, Sir John Templeton, the founder of the Templeton family of mutual funds, was once asked what was the best investment he had ever made. And being a committed believer in Christ, he said, when he started giving 10% of his income to God, that was the best investment that he ever made. I want to challenge you to discover the truth of that statement. I want to challenge you to give with confidence. 
I want to challenge you to live faithfully and give generously. I want to challenge you to help us build in the life of Spring Valley Baptist a deep and abiding spirit of generosity that will bless and honor God and will bring the blessings of God in manifold proportions. Will you join me in that? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your love and your mercy for us. We thank you that you are indeed the the faithful God who meets all of our needs. You supply for us everything we need from salvation to everything that we really truly need to sustain us in life. And now, Father, I pray that as we're challenged as a a church family uh, to be faithful and generous uh, regularly and, and, and willingly giving of resources back to you, that we would be willing to live faithfully, giving generously because of who you are and your promise to us. Father, help us to step out in faith and to, to take that step to be generous people as we give to honor your name and your glory. Father, we thank you for being generous and giving to us Jesus Christ who died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, have a relationship with you, and, and live eternally in your presence when we leave this world. Father, if we have faith in, in salvation then allow us to have faith in your promise to meet all of our needs and to bless us as we give to you first. And we pray all of that in Jesus' name, our Savior and our Lord. Amen.